0: You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I am your host, Abraham. And I am your co-host, Shane. Is that how we're doing our voices now? Just for today, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, it works. (laughs) Sometimes, just randomly, and for no reason whatsoever. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. In case you are just joining us for the first time, this is an odd one to be joining us on because it's not really what we normally do, but we are normally a psychology
1: science podcast. That's true. So with this episode, I think it will be a lot of fun to kind of dig into some of the other podcasts that are out there, but also just kind of hear the process, because I don't think a lot of people know what the process of recording a podcast looks like. And you'll find that everybody's got kind of a different thing. But the people that we have on this episode are a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. So we were joined by a brand new podcast that just came out. They sounded like it was, a, it was a really interesting idea that they were doing. And I invited them to come on to the show and talk about their podcast, where you can find it, what it's about. And they end up talking quite a bit about sort of, I guess, their process and the fact that they're coming from different backgrounds. And so this is called the ABA and OT podcast very straightforward. Yeah. So you have a behavior analyst and an occupational therapist who are essentially trying to find common ground. And that's what the podcast is.
1: Yeah. Which, uh, you know, if you are anywhere in a helping profession, then you know that people tend to kind of dig their heels into their own theory and they, they, you know, they subscribe to their own training. And so it's always really interesting to hear folks kind of approach and tackle different topics from different perspectives. I mean, you, you kind of heard us do this when we really tried to approach the political parties, right? Like we were trying to like just have people kind of express their views and, and be able to discuss that. And so as somebody who works in ABA, I can tell you that we have differing views on stuff with other folks in other professions. So to have that conversation, I think is important, but also a lot of fun. And what
0: behavior analysts, ABA practitioners, and these occupational therapists have in common is that we're both serving the same population a lot of the time, if not most of the time. You know, uh, we're often working with individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities, such as autism, Down syndrome, FAS, that sort of thing. And there is a unfortunate lack of coordination with the different efforts among those different people. And so I think this is a this is such a cool idea to have people who have made it their mission to coordinate, because ultimately that is for the betterment of the people who we have dedicated our profession, our careers, our lives to serving
1: if you read anything or hear anything about behavior analysis being like a a group of people that don't play well with others or don't play well in the sandbox. I mean, I've heard that discussion more than once. I've never been that person personally that I know of, but I think that interdisciplinary work really goes so much further than people taking teams, taking sides in, in saying that mine is the best and you follow suit. Every time that I've worked with a learner and worked with somebody who has been successful in their treatment has been as part of a team. Everybody that's on the team tackles a different aspect of what might be the challenge. And so, you know, where everybody is in the the field to do the same thing or to serve the person or to do good by this person, everybody just has a different viewpoint on how to get there. And so if you can kind of reach across the aisle and start kind of mending that and, and having that discussion where it is kind of collaborative, man, you just do so much more.
0: Right. Now, I'm really excited for everyone to get to hear their actual take and my two guests talking about their podcast. So let's go ahead and transition to that now. I hope you enjoy this interview with Aditi and Mandy of the ABA and OT podcast. All right, thanks for joining us. I would like to welcome my audience, our listeners, to my two wonderful guests, and I reached out to you because you are starting your own podcast, so if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Uh, Let's start with you, Mandy.
2: Thanks so much for having us here. Yeah, I'm Mandy Mason. I'm right the other side of the world to you guys in Perth, Western Australia, just coming into a lovely summer's day here. I am... A director of Fit Learning here in Australia. So, I um, was one of the first affiliates to sign up to Fit Learning after I went to live in Indiana through a very cold winter. Traveled to Chicago, went to a precision teaching conference that changed my life because I'd bumped into Dr. Kimberly Behrens and um, I'd been knocking on a lot of doors for a long time. And I finally knocked on the right one and fell in love with this amazing woman <laughs> and asked if, where, you know, where I could sign up to be part of this incredible movement of Fit Learning. And that I came to be at the Precision Teaching Conference because I have a daughter with autism, used to be a finance director working in, you know, corporate finance area. And uh, my daughter was diagnosed with autism about 14 years ago, which took me on a trajectory into behavior analysis and um, traveling the world really to look at best practice for kids with autism. I moved to I did my BCBA through Florida Tech and moved to America in two thousand and thirteen to base myself in Indiana at an ABA school there to learn more. Sure. And um was a little bit frustrated by the lack of precision and data and measurement and accountability and through my frustration one day I went home and just started teaching Morningside curricular to my daughter. Oh. And yeah, she, yep, she just, I just had, there was a really amazing guy there, I won't mention his name, but he had trained at Morningside and in, at lunch times he just, you know, showed me how to chart. I had had, you know, charting through Florida Tech, but he just showed me some, you know, really what to do. And my daughter woke up the next day going, this is my daughter with profound autism. Is like, I want to do precision teaching. <laughs> and, you know, I, as Skinner said, the rat or the child is always right. And every day at this ABA program, she was saying to them, but I want to do PT. <laughs> so, you know, I realized that I had come in contact with, well, at least she'd come in contact with a schedule of reinforcement that she loved and a lot of success and lots of, you know, building of component skills. So... As a result of her, I, um, I went to a precision teaching conference in freezing cold Chicago in winter. Yeah. And that just really changed my life as a behavioural analyst. And I met Aditi in that process through Fit Learning and got pretty excited actually about, you know, the clientele that I work with looking at core cool component skills of body strength and, you know, um, components of the body that contribute to attention. Mm-hmm. So she and I have been working together And one day in one of our consults, she said, hey, do you want to start a podcast? And I'm like, well, I've got about a spare 30 minutes a day (laughs) in my crazy, hectic schedule. That's something I really want to promote because of my journey in the field of autism and collaborating with OTs and you know, really wanting to open up communication between two very different fields and and share knowledge. So that was a long way of saying that's how the podcast came about.
0: Cool. So speaking of the freezing cold windy city known as Chicago, <laughs> would you introduce yourself Aditi?
3: I imagine that was my cue. Um, <laughs> yes, I am currently in Chicago. I've lived here for a while but actually I've, I grew up in India, lived in Zambia which is in Africa, went to school high school in in London or actually Liverpool and then I came here for university and so Chicago is not my favourite place but it is the place right now Yeah, you know I think about it like I've been so many places and I settled in you know the booming metropolis of Chicago so I actually have been OT for old oh, gobs of years now 25-ish Wow. and worked in a variety of settings and about four years ago I was doing my doctorate and I took a certification course in ABA at FIT Mm -hmm. and I actually had to sort of present my case to the OT board because they were like this is outside our realm it's very (laughs) linear that's not who we are blah 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 and I was like well behavior applies to everybody so I can't see how this is not applicable (laughs) and that was sort of my way to get it approved
0: Wow. Very cool.
3: Yeah. So I got it approved, went to FIT and I met the lovely lady, Dr. Kim Behrens. She was my professor. She taught a class on uh, precision teaching. And oh my gosh, it was like one of the last classes. I fell in love. I was like, w- what? Where is this? I want to learn precision teaching. And so I was like, I know I need to incorporate into my own practice in OT. But then she talked about fit and, um, you know, As it happens, my son was struggling in school at the time and I was really beside myself and I was like, gosh, I've got to find a solution. I tried everything, nothing was working. And, you know, I don't know if you believe in the universe sort of shows you the way. I I really felt like it did. It just sort of happened that I talked to Dr. Kim and decided fit learning was for my son. So, of course, there wasn't a fit learning in Chicago. It was only in New York and Reno. And I packed up my bags and went to um, New York and got trained and started FIT for my son. And yeah, never thought I would actually own a business. That wasn't, you know, my end goal. My end goal was just to help my son. But once I saw the profound impact, I was like, blast! Uh, You know, why isn't this available for everyone else? And that's really how I got started with FIT.
0: Awesome. And as you mentioned, Mandy, that you guys and your communications and collaborations decided to join this growing podcast community, welcome. It's still a cool kind of Wild West sort of place.
2: Yeah, it's good to see that someone survives. Uh, how many <laughs> years? Because <laughs> we're uh, five episodes in and, uh, you know, really... Barely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Early on in that process, really hoping to go for the long term. So sure. So it's uh, really encouraging to see.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's There's definitely a lot of attrition In the in the podcast world. So, you know, it's at least for myself, what I've really found is finding a routine that you can stick to and you sort of just treat it like a job and you uh, you can be successful in that way. Not that I have the greatest advice, but because we're here to actually talk about your podcast, uh, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and tell us what it's called, what it's about and what you guys have done so far and what you have coming up.
3: So, you know, I think I'll jump in there. It's funny when we were thinking about the name we were like, oh, what should we name it? What should we name it? And we thought of all these things and, and you know, memes and, you know, adjectives. <laughs> and then we were like, you know what? There isn't a podcast like ours. So let's just name it. The ABA and OT podcast. Straightforward enough. <laughs> it, it is what it is. Like, yeah. It just made sense. So that's what it's called. And it basically is a collaborative podcast from very two different perspectives, as you can imagine. I'm sure you know there's no love lost between ABA and um, therapists and OTs, <laughs> it's quite a well-known fact. And actually, we've just sort of been coexisting. You know, ABAs and or behavior therapists and OTs, we've just really been coexisting in the same sort of sandbox. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes ignoring each other, sometimes sneering at each other, <laughs> but we've just sort of coexisted. And I was in that sandbox, right with other ABA therapists and OTs. And what I found is that ABAs would talk to ABAs, OTs would talk to OTs, but nobody was talking to each other.
0: Yeah.
3: And this barrier really impacted me in my practice. I had a situation where I was working with a a client and uh, he had a behavioral therapist and I was the OT. And We just weren't talking to each other. And and even the director, the clinical director was like, well, you know what? You guys have different perspectives. So we're just going to let her do what she wants to do and you can do what you want to do. Mm. And that was really how things ignited for me. Yeah. And then when I saw Precision Teaching, I learned about it. I learned about ABA. I met the wonderful Fit family. And then I met Mandy. We started talking. I was like, Mandy, you know can you please do this with me? And I can't believe you said yes. I'm quite the salesperson, aren't I? But I convinced her um, to do this because there were just so many barriers when we are so contentious with each other. And we both recognize that these barriers have to be sort of broken down, not only for ourselves, but for this mutual benevolence of changing other people's lives and making them more meaningful. So we just decided it's time that we stopped talking about each other and to each other. And that's really how the idea came about.
0: So this is essentially dialogues between you discussing sort of relevant topics, I guess, coordinating between sort of a a behavior analysis perspective and an OT perspective.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I can't tell you how challenging that is really challenging and in a good way though I think it really from my perspective you know I came to uh, the OT world with a lot of myths about what OT was because the majority of my exposure to OT was through sensory integration and I have really struggled with many of those interventions and the clients that I work with and you know attempting to measure what OTs were you know wanting to achieve because at the end of the day all of us here today, and probably most of you listening, are about helping people and making the world a better place to live in. So, you know, the end goal, I think, of people that work in this field, that it's, you know, particularly if you work with severe and challenging behaviour, it's hard. It is beyond hard. And you do it because you love it and you care about the difference it makes. So that is a awesome place to start, I think, making the world a better place to live in. But coming back to the actual interventions and, you know, from my perspective, understanding that sometimes what you do in an intervention reinforces behaviour, understanding the science of behaviour analysis, to me, is key to success in every field, but it really has a lot to add to the IT world. So without being arrogant and saying, "Oh, we know what you don't," it's it's not about that. It's about you know if you care about outcomes for the clients you work with, you have to be able to say that what you're doing is making your client better, and you can't do that without a measurement system. You're just guessing, and you know I, I think you know old in the old field of behavior analysis they used to call it train and hope, <laughs> right. and um it's not good it's not good enough. I don't think that's good enough in any area of life yeah. is to hope. But when you're dealing with severe and challenging behavior, my perspective as both a parent and a clinician is you better be sure that the money and time and effort that you're putting into this kid who is the you know, one of the most vulnerable clients, that what you're doing is really the best that you can do. So that's, you know, that's what I want to bring to the OT world. But in then, you know, I have worked with kids, I just want to call them for one of a better behaviour handling term, sloppy kids, because <laughs> Dr. Kim, Kim uses that word a lot. You know, everything from sloppy articulation, of course, we can define what that means. But, mm-hmm. you know, sloppy in the chair, sloppy visual attending, sloppy fine motor skills, you know, no core strength. And those component skills that Allow kids to access therapy successfully. The OT world has a lot to add there. So, you know, I started, I I actually employed my own OT for a number of reasons in my own clinic, clinician, and I'm developing this new category of OT called the behavioral OT. (laughs) I just did it because I feel like that's a way of describing, okay, you guys know a lot about behavior, but you're not so good at measuring it. Or, or defining it. So let's see what we can do together. And this OT has is so excited about precision teaching and measurement. Cool. Yeah. So that's sort of my perspective on what we're uh, trying to achieve here is combine the two fields and you know bring the best of both together and talk about it and educate about possibility.
0: Could you guys provide an example of the kind of, I guess, dialogue you might have or, or maybe advice you might seek from one another that you bring to the podcast?
3: Oh, it's tough. We have moments. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we had to, <laughs> we had to invent the pause button, which is, you know, I hope you don't mind me saying, it's like a, it's like a, a WTF moment, you know. <laughs> and for me, it's always about that word, sensory, you know, because, Got it. okay, because you know, I care about defining and measurement, so sure. And then on the other side of things, you know, I'll drop something like Pavlov's dogs and. And Aditi's going, WTF, pause! So, so, yeah, there's lots of that in a fun way. But, yeah, so, um, sorry, Aditi, you go ahead and give your perspective there.
3: No, I mean, that's exactly it. We we have moments, like, Mandy will say something and then I'll be like, well, what about the sensory perspective? Because whether you want to acknowledge it or not, that's what OTs are going to think. And then there's this pause, literally a pause between us because we're like, we don't know where to go. (laughs) Because, you know, we're trying so hard not to alienate anyone. Sure. Yeah. Uh, We're not trying to make anyone wrong or right. We're just trying to talk. And we don't know if this is going to make a difference or not. And there might be therapists who listen to it and are like, oh, this is just pure rubbish. Or, you know, it might spark an interest or it might do nothing. It's just entertaining. I don't know (laughs) that, you know, but the fact is, if you don't talk about it, there's no probability of anything changing. So we have a grand and lofty goal. I don't know how achievable it is. I do have fun with it, though. I will tell you, (laughs) we do have these tense moments, but it circles back and I feel so good after we finish an episode. That's great. So I'll give you an example. We were talking about something and, you know, Mandy was like, well, you know, from a behavioral perspective, that doesn't really exist unless I can see it. And there was this huge pause and I was like, I didn't know what to say without sort of getting into, you know, this so sort of tit for tat with her. And then, you know, I was like, okay. Then I was able to reframe it and go, okay, so using the pause button, OTs, this is what you might be thinking and I want you to shelve it and table it, table that thought and then we'll come back to it. Cool. And it really helped. Yeah. It really did. And I know Mandy's done it.
2: Just to be clear there, Aditi, just because this is one of the pause buttons I want to use is that it wasn't – I didn't say if you can see it. I said if you can measure it and define it. That's the difference because <laughs> a lot of OTs think that, you know, behavioralists don't look below the skin. We just want to measure what we're, you know, what we're trying to talk about. That's all. So, yeah
0: gotcha gotcha there's there's sort of a, a pedantic like wait a minute wait a minute I'm oh, let me redefine my side and then going a little bit back and forth to that's actually that seems helpful
2: it's a language thing you know it's all about language Sure. so but yeah you, you, I, I think it just has to come back to caring enough to get through those moments to um you know to get insight and it's yeah, it, it feels good. I mean, you know, Aditi said she doesn't know if it's going to reach anybody, but I cannot tell you how much contact I've had, not just from within the um, ABA and OT world, but I had a speech pathologist reach out to me the other day and said, please, I heard your podcast. I need this in my practice. Mm-hmm. Will you teach me to chart? Cool. You know, it is. it's it is. And I've had a psychiatrist contact me as well. How's that? So, yeah, I definitely getting a lot of contact for interest in learning more about measurement.
0: I will say, from my own experience doing the podcast, when we have we have specifically oriented our topics to trying to bridge worlds like that, that's some of the best reception we've ever heard from our listeners. And I think that that, that you guys are providing something really val- really valuable, because, as as you said, Aditi, right at the beginning the behavior analysts and the OTs have sort of just coexisted and that's, that's about as, as productive as that relationship has ever been. So helping to create some more conversation there, uh, I think is, is probably going to be really helpful. And then the podcasts offer such a great platform for that because it can reach so many people on their own schedule. So I had some more questions about sort of the podcast itself as, as you guys are going along. And so can you sort of walk me through what, what's the format of your podcast? Like,
3: Before I go into the format, just one thing I wanted to add there is for me, it was also about... As an OT, I find that parents often have to choose between ABA services and OT services for their child. And that bothered me too, because I was like, you know, we both have lenses and valuable input. So if we can collaborate, we can co-treat. Wow, like that (laughs) would be so powerful. And just recently, an OT reached out to me and she's like, you know, I'm so frustrated because mom decided to do ABA and she's, you know, got gazillions of hours and I don't have, you know, I only have one hour a week. And, and I was like, why don't you just talk to the ABA and see if you can co-treat? Mm-hmm. We can do this together and coexist. So anyway, I just wanted no, to mention that when we are talking about coexisting. Um, but I'll go into the format. So the format was definitely tricky, right? Okay. Because we've got two different disciplines, different frameworks, underpinnings. There's just so much that's different. So we had to sort of start with finding a common language makes sense because we define things very differently yeah so mandy has been amazing with that that's really helped me sort of frame things for ot's so you know when you say respondent behavior respondent conditioning what does that mean to an ot or if i say sensory overload what does that mean to an aba therapist so i think that's the first part right mandy that's kind of where we started
2: yeah that's right You know, we started with, first of all, identifying, you know, what the myths are of our two fields, because here we go, I get my own time to talk about that, is that most OTs think that ABA is discrete trial instruction, right? I mean, maybe the whole world, anyone that knows anything about ABA outside of the ABA field goes, oh, it's just, you know, touch red, give me block. Mm, yeah. So that's the first thing as we started to spell myths. What is our field? What are the myths of our field outside of our field? And we did that from both perspectives. But from there, you know, we've started to move into the area of early learning and describing that both from a behavioural analytic and OT perspective. And then we're going to move into specific interventions too, which help us come back to translating that language. Because Actually, you know, when Aditi describes to me some of the interventions she will do in particular scenarios, it's pretty similar, to be honest. The shaping and the measurement, differential reinforcement, those things are different, but the kind of the goals are the same. So, yeah, we're starting to find a way to dispel the myths bring forward kind of the interventions, describe them in language that we can each understand. And then I'm always about, okay, so now we've got some common goals, let's measure them. And how would we do that? So that's kind of been the format to date. Got it. Yeah. And we also are very in
3: tune with the literature. You know, we we read a lot because Great. we're trying to cover the scope. And so whenever possible, we always provide resources for the latest literature and then resources, just like definitions, glossaries for ABAs, glossary for an OT, uh, specific to that episode. So if we talked about feeding in that episode, we might cover those terms from an ABA and OT perspective. Gotcha. I think one of my favorite glossaries and Mandy, tell me if you think differently, but is our icebreaker. It's what can you ask an ABA therapist if you're an OT and vice versa.
0: <laughs> that's awesome.
3: Isn't it? I mean, I just thought that was, I wish I'd had that because, you know, I didn't want to be rude, but I'm like, I don't know what to ask. So
0: Yeah, that's that's really cool. Do you have anything to, to add on that that as well, Mandy?
2: I can say a lot about that. I can say a lot about anything in this field, but <laughs> I love talking about this stuff, but I think there is a lot of. Look, I only, you know, really familiar with what ABA say about OTs. But, you know, I did get some sort of behind the scenes questions like, oh, good luck with that. And, oh, how are you going to go measuring sensory integration? And, you know, some little digs and dives. And, look, I come from that history. I want to tell you, I have been pretty disparaging of some of the OT that I've seen. Luckily, Aditi has you know, educated me to do more reading and more research and be less judgmental. But those questions kind of allow you to frame your relationship with an OT without bringing that judgment and that kind of negative background, I guess. And also to give OTs some questions that will assist them to look at the behavioral perspective without immediately, you know, coming to it with a mindset of what sort of Aditi describes as being very linear, Mm
4: -hmm. which
2: I, you know, I struggle with that, to be honest, because I see ABA as the complete opposite to being linear, but this is how OTs will describe us as linear because I think they perhaps misunderstand that ABA is a science as opposed to an intervention. And that's, you know, my biggest kind of education point here is, you know, we're a science. We're not one tool or technique and unfortunately, at least in Australia, I'm sad to say that many behaviouralists train in tools and techniques as opposed to the science. We're we're getting better. We are developing programs here, but most of our universities do not incorporate, you know, principles of learning or anything to it. So they just grab a hold of one little bit, mostly discrete trial instruction to to my horror, but, and they call that ABA. So it's about, you know, having a set of questions that you can come to the other party with that opens up communication as opposed to coming with judgment. I, I hope that that's that those questions achieve that if not we'll keep working and get input from others until we get to that point
0: sounds like you guys have a lot of content to work with
2: yeah oh gosh do we ever that's (laughs) a lot and I tell you one of the things that Aditya introduced as well is disclaimers to one of our (laughs) you know because we are not experts in you know in the the really broad areas that we are going into I tell you uh you know I'm an ex- you know, finance director. And my master's degree is in international tax law. So I I came to this field because of my daughter. And I became a BCBA, you know, by just dedicating a lot of my time and volunteering to a lot of cases that was supervised and then I've been supervised by Dr. Kim for seven years now, so I have a lot of experience now. But, you know, going back to some of... I don't have a PhD in ABA and I, you know, I've really had to push myself in extending my knowledge so that I can talk to some of these topics. But, you know, I am very open to input and feedback from others that have more experience in the areas that we're starting to talk about. But, you know, talking about early development... And you know how learning unfolds from birth, like that's you know that's a big topic. I had to go back yeah. and read a lot of Skinner, in and try and then translate that into the OT. Well, that's a that's a PhD right there. So, <laughs> you know, we are not professing to be experts in this area, but to raise some questions and and get people thinking. So we're very open to input and feedback about what we're doing. Right, Aditi? Oh, ditto to all of the above. Um, but I will tell you, each episode is like a
3: mini bloody thesis. <laughs> it- really feels wow. like it <laughs> because like I'll find some literature she'll find some literature and then we have to read it and then we have to come together And then we have to explain it to the other party, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just, we we can't make any assumptions with anything. And it does feel a bit like we're walking on eggshells. We're like, okay, how are we going to do this? So really packaging it right is is very difficult. And I'm sure you have a question in here somewhere about how often we uh, release our episodes. I'm going to answer that right now. (laughs) Because it takes so much work, looking at the research because we're making such, you know, trying to make such an effort to be research and evidence-based, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, our goal is what, two a month, Mandy, like every other week? Is that what we talked about?
2: Yeah, two a month. We started with weekly and, yeah, I just realised what a, a crazy thing that was to um, to launch a podcast and, you know, market it to an audience to come up with content And so, yeah, two a month, is I think, is a more realistic schedule because we both have very busy practices. I have three labs, three learning labs, and we do a lot of remote consultation too now. So it's a busy life. And I have my own daughter with autism who's like her own, you know, that's my sort of, you know, nine-to-five job. (laughs) (laughs) fitting everything else in so this podcast adds to it in many ways because it's really helping me in terms of understanding more Cool, but yeah I think I think realistically you know two a month is is what we're going to be able to keep to
0: yeah that makes sense and about how long are those conversations the episode's going to be
2: Yeah, that varies a lot, depending on the content, because that episode we did on early learning, that's episode four, I think. Is that right? Episode three or four um, on early learning. That really took us somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah, I had to go back and read all of Skinner's work on, you know, early learning and all the work he did with, I didn't end up mentioning his sleeping unit, because that's a little bit, I didn't want to push OTs too far, but uh, <laughs> we'll come back to that. But, um, you know, looking at research in um, in babies and then bringing that OT perspective, that really took us somewhere. In one episode, you know, I had to talk about respondent learning versus operant learning and then, you know, how that looks and gosh, Pavlov's dogs came up and that was the pause button and got hit a couple of times. <laughs> so yeah, that episode was like over an hour, but uh, in general, they'll be 30 to 40 minutes because that's kind of like a drive time, at least in australia okay. uh, that'll get you quite that'll get you quite a long way 30 minutes yeah
0: i think uh depending on where you are in the states that i can get you away. ways if you're in la that only get you a couple blocks
2: but <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's so true yeah Chicago I, sp- uh, <laughs> I spent quite a lot of time in la and um yeah that's yeah. true that that's not going to get you far
0: <laughs> very cool and are you guys offering ceus for the the content or do you have any premium content or anything like that
3: Yes and no, (laughs) or coming very soon. We definitely are. So since sensory versus behavior is sort of the recurring barrier in, you know, ABAOT practice, we really are focused on trying to address that. And we do have several episodes coming up, actually one on sleeping,
2: and I'll let Mandy talk about that. Cool. You know, I'm a huge fan. I mean, who isn't in the behavioral world of Patrick Fryman? right and yeah when i lived in america i um i went to one of his talks i obviously lectured through fit with him and so i you know i I follow all of his work and listen to everything that he has to say it's just a really incredible you know person in our field that does an extraordinary job of breaking down barriers right and using plain english to communicate with audiences and i I remember very early on his stand to you know get ABA into the mainstream. That has been one of his life ambitions and mine too, because of my own unique experience with my daughter and you know working with kids that you know don't have autism, they just have you know learning challenges or falling behind at school. So, yeah, the bedtime pass, I have used that very successfully with non-behaviour analytic people or parents to educate about a sleep intervention. So episode five for us is the bedtime pass and how to do that, and we have a deeper dive to the bedtime pass, and we're going to be doing those going forward, which is for people that, you know, some people that's going to be of interest too, but they don't work in the field of sleep, a very, very, very challenging area to intervene on Mm -hmm. for so many reasons, not to mention the difficulty in getting you know data that is reliable so for those people that do want to look at you know learning more about that protocol or about escape extinction for sleep and a gentle approach to escape extinction yeah we're going to launch a deeper dive into the bedtime pass so I'm excited about that and most, I won't say most, but a lot of behavioural analysts will have done that themselves and not need that level of deeper dive. But when when you're talking to an OT about taking data and fading prompts and differential reinforcement, those things, you know, require some more support if you're going to use them in your own practice. Cool. So that's exciting. And on the CEU front, that is definitely a longer-term goal for us because in particular in the area of CEUs that I've seen in OT – there's a lot of behavioural analytic um, CEUs and I don't think I'll be going down that path. There's people that can do that a lot better than me. But in the OT world, you know, I think there's a lot we can add in terms of measurement and data and this translation of (laughs) this really weird discrimination that is created between sensory and behaviour, which I struggle with even still because to me it's just all behaviour, right? But (laughs) this area of translating behaviour for OTs and understanding you know, what sensory is and measuring it. I really feel like we have a big contribution, Aditi and I, to that area without being arrogant. And it's not like me saying, oh, they've got it wrong and we've got it right. No, I think there's just some stuff that we can share and educate people and they'll, they'll get excited to measure what they're doing. That's my goal always. Sure. Yeah, we
3: also have talked about an episode on toileting, Yeah, because in the OT world, you know, we work with a lot of students who have, and I'm going to say the S word, don't wig out on me, <laughs> but sensory issues that can, uh, in our mind, impede the process of teaching toileting skills. And so this is one of the things I asked Mandy, I was like, you know, I think this that would be so useful. And then sort of combining it with the sensory aspect of interoception, like knowing and feeling inside your body and how that impacts toileting. So I think that's an episode I'm really looking forward to, and we'll be offering a deeper dive for that too. You know, again, hitting those sensory and behavioural components. Mandy, did you want to add something about that one? You know more from
2: the people.
4: Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, I do, because I just got out of a, a week in a bathroom with a two-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so Fun. the really exciting thing that I, I hope you don't know, mind been talking about this, but like, you know, I've done lots of toilet programs. So I'm with my own daughter and dozens of others, you know, I spent lots of time on my hands and knees, but my goodness, you know, precision teaching brings and core component skills bring so much to all of these interventions, you know. So looking at prerequisite skills and training those to fluency, I feel like, That competes with a lot of the sensory issues that Aditi is talking about there. You know, for instance, you know, a lot of the kids that I've worked with in in the toileting area, they don't want to stand next to the toilet or they don't want to, you know, if you're using like Fox and Nazarene's intervention for toileting, which is what my... Program is based on that I use. Mm-hmm. You spend a lot of time sitting on that toilet. Let me tell you, <laughs> in the early hours of those interventions, you know, kids are sitting. It doesn't sound like long, but ten minutes on a toilet—that's yeah. a long time for a lot of kids to sit still. When you know, might be training, you know, sitting in a chair for like five seconds is one of your goals. So, yeah. training component skills of, you know, transitioning to a bathroom sitting on a toilet, standing next to a toilet, the component skills of hand washing, having sufficient activities to engage a child in a bathroom. Because literally in that program, you know, I I lock parents and myself in a bathroom for like nine hours a day so Ooh. at least at least for three days so you've got to have a kid that has the component skills to be able to do that right if you're going to be successful then yeah, you don't have difficult. to go through a lot of extinction in the bathroom which you really don't want to do let me tell you you don't want to go through extinction when a kid is trying to pee accurately on a toilet especially because for the first time I just for some reason all of the kids I work with today have been girls like 12 girls and then one boy wow that brings a whole lot of <laughs> different issues to toileting when you have a you know something you have to aim down at and you know, yeah. are you going to sit or like watch out for the squirting above the toilet, you know, all of those issues. So having fluency built into your, you know, like if you have a luxury of a month before you start training and getting baseline data and educating parents, because then you have to teach parents about differential reinforcement and... Yeah, so I just had this really fun week, almost a whole week, which is a luxury for me, I never get that, with one kid and one parent about teaching her. Oh, there you go. There's another quote I will bring from Patrick Fryman because it's my most favourite quote. Is that a thing? It's my favourite or the best quote, whatever, <laughs> is, you know, you're the, the parent to the parent, you're the CEO, and your child doesn't even work in the mailroom. That's my favourite quote. I actually laminate it and put that <laughs> on parents' fridges. Yeah,
0: that's Because, great. you
2: know, parents lose a lot of power with their kids when they have severe and challenging behavior that a lot of the parents that I work with are professionals, you know, and like in their own day-to-day job, they are making heavy decisions and like really powerful people and impactful people that know how to, you know, uh, evoke change in, in a challenging work environment. But then they're talking to these little two-year-olds and, you know, I, I often sort of, um, demonstrate for parents what they look like when they're dealing with their two-year-old, like they're running around, you know, trying to, you know, crazily trying fix a broken edge to a biscuit you know like it's like it's a world you know a world problem and I demonstrate to them this is what you look like right now and they're like what that's me so yeah this last week was about this very amazing parent that I work with who's a really really incredible professional she's very high in the IT world but she's terrified by her two-year-old so, uh, you know, that, that toileting intervention, you have to be a powerful parent because you're going to go, guess what, if you're on some, initially a schedule before you fade it, you're going to come to the toilet now and you're going to sit on the toilet for 10 minutes. You have to be a pretty empowered parent to be able to do that. So sure. Yeah, so I'm excited about that episode. It brings, it brings a lot.
0: Cool.
2: So I'm not as excited as Maggie, <laughs> 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 but I... <laughs> Indeed, I will tell you, but you know, without um, so- toileting, without toileting a deity, forget everything else. You know, <laughs> if you have a kid that's in nappies when they're twelve, it, that's why I'm so excited about it because it just, you know, you've got to transform lives, and you can't do that when kids are in nappies. Let me tell you, it's just not, it's not workable. That's why I'm excited, Uh, For
3: the US audience, that's diapers. Just Sorry. (laughs) I agree, I agree, but I'm definitely intrigued. I have not worked with a lot of toileting clients. Um, However, I know many OTs who do. And one of the nice things about this collaboration is OTs work with a plethora of other types of clients with various disabilities um, across the board. And we also work with adults you know and adolescents who might also be in that arena too. So I think it's just collaborating together is really branching out our scope of practice and really reaching a greater audience that then ABA or OT might reach alone. So that's another huge benefit of collaborating
0: together. Absolutely.
2: Yeah and then another episode that we are going to be doing, which I'm kind of working on right now is a case study working with my own OT. On developing well it's fine motor strength but it's really the ultimate goal is to teach shoe tying to a, a kid that has really severe and challenging behavior but oh, cool. it's always you know you know throwing his shoes off and so the ot accommodation is at this end is to be put these special plastic i don't know even what you call them adidi but they're they're like this device that locks the shoe closed so the kid can't untie them and throw them off right. and that's sometimes i guess that's a good distinction is that you know, OTs will sometimes have, if you can believe this, Scott, maybe you can because you have more experience than me in this world, but you know, OTs will have 45 minutes a week to to develop some pretty lofty goals. Like this kid, his OT goals on 45 minutes a week, like independent self-care, you know, self-regu- self-regulation, self identifying emotions. Oh, no big deal. Emotions. You know, no big deal on 45 minutes a week. I have him 20 hours and it's not enough to, you know, to, to do that. So right. what I've done is collaborated with an OT. We, we do one session a week together. I do the instruction because I have her advising and observing right now because I have a kid with, you know, really severe aggression. Yeah, so I'm really excited to to show the end result of this, even though it's shoe tying, that doesn't seem like it's life-changing, but it's the way that she and I collaborated together and I also had Aditi's input on hand strengthening, et cetera, to show, okay, this is how you can shape a really complex behaviour where you're missing some of the component skills. And this is what an OT brings sort of in terms of some of the things we had to teach like pivoting, uh, pincer grip and things like that. This is what we were able to do in terms of component skills to get success in this shoe tying which I know, you know, this kid has been trying to learn this for like five years, I want to say, and within 12 weeks, on even only on short, you know, one session per week using a standard acceleration chart, of course, we've had really, really good improvement. And, nice. And, yeah, been able to collaborate really effectively on this one goal.
3: Mandy is my honorary OT. <laughs> tell. Look at her! I'm so proud of her, using accommodation, adaptation, and really that's one of the things that, I was so passionate about when we started this. I was like, I'm so tired of everyone defining us by sensory because we, as us meaning OTs, we are so much more than sensory. You know, we do a lot of adaptations, accommodations so that people can be independent in the shortest amount. Possible and live their lives. That's just one facet of what we do. So I'm so glad I got through to Mandy. Yay! One ABA at a
2: time. Yeah, Back and on. Like those accommodations <laughs> that you make, you know, they can just be really good prompts that can be faded outright. And as behavioralists, we know how to do that really well. Prompt fading is, you know, our bread and butter. So and differential reinforcement. So some of the things that Aditi is doing, like I can't tell you how much success I've had by the use of jelly beans as accommodations in my uh, fine motor program. <laughs> Like, you know, using a flattened jelly bean, for instance, to put on the pad of your hand to keep a kid's hand flat during, um, you know, during practising pivots and things like that with the end result that they get to eat the, you know, the flattened jelly bean. My kid is pretty excited about that. Oh. Some of these accommodations that OTs have are really good prompts that we might not think about as behavior analysts that can be faded out. And so OTs might keep those there because they don't have enough time to do the prompt fading component. We can take those over, those prompts, and then start to fade them out. Because my goal is always to have kids doing things independently, and you know, without those additional prompts. But sometimes, you know, you have kids working in other environments where people don't have that skill set. So, anyway, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot that I'm learning and excited to be working in. And yeah, I'm I'm pretty proud that every day that kid comes in and goes, "You're such a good OT, Mandy," <laughs> 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 and I like I like, kind of look up at the OT. I'm like, i yeah, wow, oh, whoa, I'm an honorary OT. I'm claiming it." I'll take whatever I
0: can. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, uh, it's uh, this sounds like a really cool, uh, a really great podcast with a lot of excellent resources. I would like to be one of the first to formally welcome you. I know you guys have already released some episodes. And so just real quick for for listeners, where can they find this podcast to subscribe to and whatnot?
3: So I don't know all the names of all the platforms. So I'll start with a few and the Amanda can fill in the rest. Yeah. Um, I know Apple. we are definitely on the Apple Podcasts and we have a YouTube channel now too, oh, cool. where our podcasts are hosted and we also have a Facebook group I hope you're in it I'm not sure but we'd love to take questions and any topics
0: I don't have a Facebook account
4: oh
3: you don't oh, goodness. No. my goodness yeah. wow. That's- <laughs> indeed right <laughs> wow, good. good for you except for our group <laughs>
2: um, and Mandy uh, where else do we have our podcast yeah our you can find us on Spotify Google Podcasts Apple Podcasts and Stitcher
0: Cool. Yeah. All right, very good.
2: And if you go to our Facebook page, that will lead you to our Facebook group and you'll be able to see we release information about our podcast and normally a little audio on our podcast so you can get a bit of a taste and see if it's something you want to listen to. Awesome. I need to search us under the ABA and OT podcast. How's that?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, should, that should do it. <laughs> well, I want to thank you guys so much for your time and uh, for joining me today, and uh, I hope everyone takes a, a minute to go check out your guys' podcast. and if you like what you hear, then you should subscribe, and uh, best of luck to you.
2: Awesome. We really appreciate your time. That was great. All thank, right, thank you. Thank
0: you both. Thanks. All right. Bye.
2: Bye. Take care. Bye.
0: All right. So that concludes our interview with Aditi and Mandy from the ABA and OT podcast. Want to thank them both for being willing to join us and share their thoughts. Tell us about their podcast. I had a lot of fun with this interview. So it it was great to just hear two different perspectives, finding a way to have common ground.
1: I think that that theme should be something that we carry on into our just general lives is being able to like figure out where our common ground is. Cause I think, you know, at the end of the day, we probably have more in common than maybe we realize. So it's always nice to kind of see people actually work at that because it takes work. It's not easy to, to like, kind of let go of your biases and let go of your, I mean, we've, we do that on the podcast all the time where it's like, we'll get into a topic and we're like, I hate this topic. And then you're like, wait. There's actually some merit in this. We did that, I think, with the Montessori schools one, right? Like we were, yep. was, At first, we were like, no, this doesn't work. And we're like, oh maybe, kind of. That's right. And so that's actually kind of, that's very difficult to undo and let go of your own biases and be able to kind of have that conversation with folks. Yeah. And I think, you know, we
0: wouldn't normally do uh, take homes for something like this, and we won't. But there was one thing in here that I kind of took away that I thought was fun. And there, that was the idea that they mentioned of like a pause button where they find that someone gets stuck on what the other person said. And so they're like, all right, pause. We need to unpack this and, and find, you know, because like my, my visceral immediate reaction is like, ah, you're wrong. You've said something wrong. And so it's now we got to stop and say, what do we mean? What are you trying to say? Both when one is maybe being dismissive or even to the point of being potentially offensive of the other view, but also saying something that's like, what, I have no idea what you even mean when you say whatever the phrase is that you said. So I like that idea of a pause button.
1: Yeah, I mean, as, a, as somebody who got their doctorate in clinical psychology, you see this a lot where it's like that pause button is so necessary because people will be talking about the same thing and they'll get heated because they get so stuck on language and terminology that they don't realize that the concept is the same. And man, if more people use pause buttons i mean and you know we've mentioned this before but like even in like the political realm or like even just in social discussions you'll find that like that pause button would be so helpful for just opening up the conversation more and just saying like hey i think we're saying the same thing we're just in different parts of the map we're heading towards the same destination we're just on different parts of the map so let's go ahead and take a step back from it let's zoom out a little bit and see if we can't like maybe figure out what where our paths converge that was a
0: very nice metaphor and it created a nice nice mental image for me. So, (laughs) all right, great. So anyway, thanks again to Mandy and Aditi. That was a really fun episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you found some value in this and, uh, you know, go subscribe and check out their podcast. If you like what you heard there, I think they're going to be offering additional content down the road. So I'm sure you'll want to be on the lookout for things like CEU episodes or episodes with premium content, that sort of thing. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for recording with me today, Shane. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We are out. See ya.
4: You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at www.podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O., Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brissier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.